Well, I invite you to open your Bible, uh, whether you have it on your phone or you have it in the black Bible there at your feet or your own Bible that you brought with you. Uh, Philippians 2 is what we're going to read this morning. If you have the, one of those black Bibles, it should be on page 980. Philippians 2, we'll read verses 5 through 11. We're continuing in our series on knowing Jesus, and here this morning we get to the real, real the heart of, of who Jesus is as we talk about the incarnation. It's not only timely from a seasonal perspective, it's it's the very core of, uh, of who our Savior is, uh, and therefore the foundation of what he's done for us. So let's read this, uh, this passage from Philippians 2 as Paul uh, is instructing us about the, the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, use your word and, and show us Jesus afresh we might know him and trust him more. We do ask in his very name. Amen. Amen. So as we've been working our way through uh, this series on knowing Jesus, we've been saying this is, this is important. Knowing Jesus, John 17, it's life. It's the very heart of eternal life is to know him, know about him, yes, and thus we can know him personally. Uh, it is very, it is life itself. Well, it, here is you talk, we talk about the incarnation. Uh, we come to a subject, though we'll get into a few technical details, it's really at the heart of who Jesus is and what he does. If you don't understand this, you miss Jesus completely. Uh, and it is the very thing that, uh, that is our hope, the very thing we sing about. Uh, maybe you think about some of those, those uh, hymns we sing this time of year and how often this subject of God incarnate comes up. Here's, here's just a few of the, of the lyrics we'll sing tonight if you're able to be with us. Uh, how about this one? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Or, hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Or one more, word of the Father, late in flesh appearing. That's the reason we celebrate. But, but what does it mean? The word made flesh, God incarnate, incarnate deity. What, what is that all about? Now, we need to understand it, yes, in all the details, and then we'll talk about why it is so critically important uh, to our life and our hope. So what does it mean? 
to understand that Jesus is God incarnate? Well, it begins with first understanding that Jesus is fully God. Fully God. Not, not a God, like in some Greek mythology, one of many gods. No, not a God, the God. Uh, we know the Bible uh, throughout teaches that there is one. In fact, we read it from Isaiah. There is uh, but one. I'm the only one. And there is no other. Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah. One God. He's, he is in three persons eternally, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal, uh, co-eternal. Uh, co one God, three persons. And that here Jesus the Son is, uh, is the, eternal, the eternal Son. Uh, fully, fully God. It's there in our text. Uh, it's there at the beginning of it, and it's there at the end of it. Uh, first, at the at the beginning. So verse 6, here is Paul talking about Christ Jesus. Who is this Christ Jesus? Uh, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The form of God. That means, rightly understood, he's fully God. Uh, but, but maybe to your ears, form of God sounds a little less than God, like kind of like he was approximating God or something like that. No, it's not that. How do you know? Well, you kind of look at the text carefully and notice that form of God is set uh, right opposite and in parallel to uh, phrases that come up in verse 7 and following. Uh, so form of God is set right next to form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, uh, a form, a form of, 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 of folk humanity. So form of God doesn't mean approximating God. Uh, just like a form of a servant, likeness of men doesn't mean approximating humanity, as we'll see in a minute. He's fully human. And he's also fully God. Form of God means he's fully God. In all that God is and does, he is fully divine. Uh, and, and so uh, he is... Uh, Fully divine in essence and function. Uh, that's where you get it at the beginning. But let's look at it at the end here. This one I think I find particularly interesting. Maybe you've never thought about this one, but it's this powerful testimony Paul has to the divinity of Christ at the end of our passage. Uh, so you look at the end. Uh, these are probably familiar words to you. Uh, so Paul saying, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess in heaven and earth uh, and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? That, that language sounds familiar. Um, but did you know where Paul gets that language? Uh, every knee should bow, every tongue confess. He gets it from Isaiah. We read it this morning. So, so put your finger in, in, in Philippians 2. Flip back to Isaiah 45. It's page 607 if you have the Black Bible. So you have, you have those familiar words of Philippians. And then you, you remember that Paul is probably one of the most intelligent rabbis in the first century. That he knows his Old Testament, probably most of it by heart. Uh, and, and so when he, he, he brings up language, it's not accidental. Uh, and you go to Isaiah 45, and you look at verse 22, and you say, does any of this sound familiar? Uh, here is, it's God speaking through Isaiah. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. 
Every tongue shall confess. It's the exact same word in Greek. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. That's where Paul gets the language. It's from Isaiah, 700 years before. Only there in Isaiah, uh, who is being referred to? Uh, who, who is it that every knee shall bow to in Isaiah? Uh, what, what is, what is that, that that uh, every tongue shall swear allegiance to? To whom? Well, it's, it's the Lord. It's God. It's, it's Yahweh. It's the one uh, who there is uh, but one God and there is no other. It's actually repeated five times in that Isaiah passage. Right there. Well, I'm, I'm God and there is no other. Five times, just to make sure. Uh, and here's that language. To that God, to that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, there is uh, no other. It's that one to every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And then Paul takes that very language from Isaiah, referring to Yahweh, and says, yeah, that's talking about Jesus. Now, it, it might not be as powerful for us, but for, for a first century Jew to say that, and, and, and part of Paul's audience is, is Jewish, to hear that language, Paul is either committing the ultimate blasphemy to say the name and, and honor that belongs to God to someone who is not God, either he's saying the ultimate of blasphemy, or Paul is declaring what is absolutely true, which is Jesus Christ is fully God. He is the eternal Son. That he is the one who is God and there is no other. That's exactly what Paul is saying. He states it at the beginning, he states it at the end. So everything we associate with God is true of Jesus. Always and forever, completely. Everything we associate with God is true of Jesus, always, completely, and forever. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is all-powerful. Uh, Jesus is all-wise. He is all-knowing. He is present everywhere. All of those things. Well, that's the attributes of God. They are true of Jesus. Always, completely, and forever. But yet, at the very same time, in the fullness of time, this eternal Son takes on a full human nature, which is our next one. Fully God, and yet at the same time, fully man, which is where Paul goes. He is the one who is fully God in the form of God, but, verse 7, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here, Paul's language, form of servant, born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. What is he saying? Jesus is fully human. Think about uh, th those passages we read this time of year, those, those very familiar, wonderful gospel passages about the, the glorious birth of the, of the Savior. And, and you think about those passages, and there's so many extraordinary things, wonderful things in there. You think of angel choirs showing up in heaven, and, and there's stars that appear in the sky, mark the birth, you know, all these just extraordinary things. True. But then you can think also, about how many elements of the birth of Jesus are absolutely ordinary? <laughs> absolutely ordinary. Can you consider it? Uh, Jesus had a mother, like you. 
he, he grew inside his mother from embryo to full-term baby, just like you did. When those nine months were up, there was labor and delivery, like you. Uh, he uh, was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why? Because if he wasn't kept warm, he would die of exposure, just like you. He was laid in a, a bed for, for a crib because he needed to rest, sleep, just like you. All of that. Very ordinary. Very human. Because he was very human. In fact, every element of humanity, without sin, but every other aspect of humanity that you have, Jesus has it too. We're going to look next week at, uh, at the boyhood of Jesus. And sure enough, we'll see that Jesus grows up like you. Jesus learns like you. He got hungry, Matthew 2. He thirsted, John 19. He got tired, uh, John 4. Um, and it's not just humanity on the outside, right? Human body, but he's human on the inside. Uh, kids, let me ask you a question. Actually, today, kids, I'm going to give you two pictures, and they're both, that's not Jesus, okay? Two pictures and both like, whoa, that's not Jesus. Here's the first one. If I stood up here and I put on a Spider-Man costume, would, would that mean I was Spider-Man? No. Because all you have to do is take off the costume, and, and what would be on the inside, it wouldn't be Spider-Man, it wouldn't be Peter Parker, just me, regular old pastor up here, right? right? A Spider-Man costume. It's just a costume. Is Jesus just God wearing a human costume? No. Right, there's our first picture. That's not Jesus. Uh, Jesus isn't God on the inside, just with a human costume on the outside. No, he does have a full, complete human body, but also an absolutely full human soul, spirit, will, and everything that goes along with humanity on the inside, except for sin, he has it all. And so we read in scripture things like uh, Mark 8, he sighed deeply in his spirit. John 11, when he saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. These very human emotions of Jesus in his, in his soul, in his spirit. He experienced it all. Uh, love, joy, compassion, anger, frustration, all of that that you experience. Uh, minus the sin, he experienced it all. He is fully and completely human. Uh, and of course, our passage describes, Paul gets into really what is uh, the, the ultimate human experience, in a sense, uh, in that Jesus dies. He dies. There's something that God can't do. But Jesus does it. Yeah, because he's fully human. And so humans can suffer and die. And Jesus does. He's fully human. Now we start to put the two together, as the Bible does, as Paul does here. Uh, fully God, fully human, in one person. In one person. These, these two natures, complete, total, uh, all the characteristics of them preserved, but they come together in, in one person. If you like fancy theological words, you can call it the hypostatic union. 
Uh, if, if you don't really care that much about that, just think full deity, full humanity, one person. And that's what you have in Jesus. Uh, the Son, the divine Son, eternally a person, takes on a full human nature, body and soul. Uh, so there is one person and, and two natures. Uh, so uh, you go to uh, verse 6 and 7. Now, here's another one of those places. Don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. So we'll look carefully and, and see what he's really saying. So uh, verse 6, Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, and there in the sense of a thing to be exploited. Um, but, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Emptied himself. What, is, what does that mean? You kind of think of that quickly, and you might, you might wonder, what well, does that mean, emptied himself? Does that mean he, he kind of gave up something of his deity? That in order to, to come to earth and become a man, there were certain aspects of his godness that he, he gave up for a little bit? Well, you, you look at carefully and realize that Paul explains what he's talking about. Emptied himself. How, Paul? He tells you. Uh, empties himself by taking the form of a servant. So Paul explains that the, the emptying, the, the humbling is not by subtraction, but by addition. Christ humbles himself. That's kind of what's captured in the image of empty. Uh, Christ humbles himself, not by subtracting something from his person, his deity, but by adding to it. He humbles himself, but not by giving up certain aspects of deity, Oh, he was omnipotent, but now he's going to give that up for a time. Or he was all-wise or all-knowing, and he's going to give that up for a time. No, it's not, it's not humbling by subtraction. It's humbling by addition, by taking, by adding a full humanity, the form of servant, being found in the likeness of men, going to the lowest place. It's, it's humility by, by addition. So you get these, this fully God, uh, nature of fully God, nature of fully man, uh, in one person, uh, such that there's no kind of change or confusion of those natures, but they're, they're fully there, both of them, in the one, in the one person. Uh, okay, kids, here's my other picture of, that's not Jesus. You ready for this? Uh, have you ever decorated Christmas cookies? I used to love doing that as a kid. And here's what we used to do as a kid. Uh, we baked the sugar cookies, and then my mom would make white icing. But in order to get the icing in different colors uh, to decorate the cookies, you, we had food coloring. And you put a few drops of, of red, and you'd get red icing, and a few drops of yellow, you'd get yellow icing. But what happens if you wanted to make orange icing? Right? You wanted that Christmas bell that we used to have. You want you an orange bell. How would you do that? There's no, there's, at least in our pack, there was no orange food coloring. So what would you do? Well, you'd take a little bit of red uh, icing and a little bit of yellow icing, and you'd kind of mix them together, and you got not red anymore, not yellow anymore. But look, it's orange. Is that Jesus? A little bit of deity, a little bit of humanity. We'll kind of mix them together, and you get something completely different. Is that Jesus? That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Fully God, fully man, 
They're not mixed together to get something completely different. He's just like us in his humanity. And yet he is fully God in his deity, all at the very same time. Uh, and so all the characteristics of deity, still there. All the characteristics of humanity, there. This actually helps you understand some of how scripture talks sometimes. Sometimes scripture uses language and you're like, oh, that, I'm not sure how that works. Because sometimes scripture will talk about attributes of one nature and kind of refer it to the whole person or even, even refer it with language to the other nature. Uh, so let me give you an example. Uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is talking about the church and he says, it's the church of God which he formed with his own blood, which he bought with his own blood. So talk about the blood of God. Holy God, God doesn't have blood, but Jesus has blood because he's fully human, and so he has blood like you. So a blood of God, well, it's referring to Jesus. His human nature has blood, but Paul, uh, but Paul there uses it to refer to uh, the whole person, even though he talks about God, that other nature. Right? Sometimes scripture does that. He can give you another example, uh, which is the example with, that Jesus talks about when he says about who knows what time he's going to return. You remember this one uh, that, that Jesus says uh, that about the day and hour of his return, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So the Son, you, you just said, Pastor, the Son is fully divine. It has all aspects of deity. You're saying now there's something that, that the divine son doesn't know? Uh, that he's not omniscient anymore? Well, Jesus is fully human. Which means in his full humanity, uh, as we'll see next week, he needs to learn. Because there's some things he doesn't know. Doesn't know how to read in the crib, uh, in the cradle. Need to learn how to read. He went from not knowing things to knowing things. There's certain things that, that Jesus in his humanity doesn't know. But in his deity, he's fully God. And so he knows everything, including what time he's going to come back. But here is Jesus uh, talking about one nature, referring it to the whole thing. Uh, it can be confusing sometimes, but it helps you a little understand how, how Scripture is, is using its, its language. Let me give you one more picture, and then we'll talk about how this is so very important. Uh, here here we'll, we'll bring our final picture in to, to Christmas picture. Uh, and it, it really starts to give the wonder of what's going on here. So think of, think of baby Jesus. And there's Mary. And she's holding her son. And that son is fully human. Which means if, if Mary doesn't feed that son, that baby dies. If Mary doesn't clothe that, that son... Jesus dies because he's human, like you. He needs to eat. He can't, he can't be exposed fully to the elements. Uh, he's just like you. Uh, he will die unless Mary holds him up, protects him, guards him, feeds him. So there, uh, in that, in that, in that uh, town in Bethlehem, there is, there is Mary, and she's sustaining. She's keeping Jesus alive. But yet, at the very same time, Jesus is fully human, but at the very same time, that same Jesus is fully God, with all aspects of godness, including something we studied a few weeks ago, uh, that Jesus, uh, the Son, made all things and sustains all things. 
And we said that means that, that Jesus is, it's because he upholds the world that all the planets continue to, uh, to move and every atom continues to, to go around and, and exist, which means in that very moment, uh, there is Mary holding Jesus, and there at that very same time, the eternal Son, Jesus, is upholding the universe at that moment. He is upholding Mary. Mary only exists in that moment. Mary only breathes. Mary only has the strength to be a mom because Jesus the Son upholds her. So at the very same time that Mary is upholding Jesus, uh, Jesus is upholding Mary. That doesn't that doesn't cause you to, uh, to wonder uh, and, and, and just uh, marvel at the mystery and the glory of it. Um, okay, but is that just all theological fun and games and um, put crassly? Why should you care? Well, I'll give you two reasons. The Bible gives us two reasons. More, but we'll, we'll go with two. Sympathy and salvation. Sympathy and salvation. Sympathy. Here's what Hebrews says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So it's because Jesus is fully human in every aspect, without sin, but in every aspect, fully human, it means he's able to identify. He's able to be in heartfelt solidarity to, with us through all the difficulties and darkness and hardships of this world. Uh, because he, as Hebrews goes on to say, he himself is beset with weakness. No sin. But human weakness in a, in a weak, dark world, that's Jesus. And so he can, he can sympathize. He can identify. Or put simply, God understands. God understands. Think about the different aspects of the different hardships, different difficulties. Maybe some you're going through right now. Um, your, your human body hurts. Your human body hurts. You feel just awful. Maybe illness, maybe it's just some chronic condition, but, but you feel awful. Jesus felt that way. God understands. Someone very, very dear to you dies. And the grief is, is intense. And it's overwhelming. Maybe you even want to scream. Jesus has been there. God understands. You stand at a, a crossroads in life. And you know what God wants you to do. It's clear in his word, but it seems so hard. So difficult, even overwhelming. You don't think you can do it. Jesus has been there. God understands. Maybe you feel misunderstood, mistreated by just about everybody. Jesus has been there. God understands. Maybe it's someone very, very close to you. Someone... Who, who should have been there for you, someone who should have been on your side and your champion, but instead they neglected you, maybe even abused you. 
Jesus has been there. It means God understands. This is the very heart of, of what the incarnation means for us. That God himself takes on full humanity, inside and outside, and walks through all the hardships of this world. And Hebrews says, there he is, just like us, without sin, just like us, beset with weakness. So we have one on high, even God himself, who, who can sympathize with us. And more than that, can actually do something about it. Sympathy, salvation. God doesn't just understand. Uh, Jesus doesn't just get it. He actually does something to rescue us from it. From the darkness and from the sin that causes the darkness. And, and, he, and that salvation, that rescue, is only possible because Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, our, our Philippians passage really, really gets at that. It's only because God becomes fully man that he can humble himself to the lowest place that he can die, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? Well, Paul implies it here, uh, what he states explicitly elsewhere. Well, here's, here, here's probably his most famous statement about this in, in 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The eternal son takes on full humanity, goes to the lowest place, right, even death on a cross. Why? So that you can be exalted to the highest place with him. He goes to the lowest place so you can be raised up to the highest. And, and the eternal God has to take on full humanity to do it. There is, there is uh, no other way that, that one could die for you. Has to be someone made just like you going through all the temptations that we do, and yet without sin. It's got to be fully human. And yet he has to be fully God as well. For God to satisfy his own justice, for heaven and earth to be brought together, for God and man uh, to come together, that great infinite gap bridged, fully God and fully man. And, and Jesus has, has done it in his very person, and then uh, as, he, as he lives and he dies and is, is raised up. Uh, the sun has descended, as one theologian put it, puts it, the sun has descended an infinite distance to reach man's highest conceivable exaltation. In other words, he came to the lowest place to take you from, the, from that depths of your sin and my sin and raise us up uh, even, even to the glories of heaven itself. He's fully man, and he's fully God, and he's done. This is the Jesus that we're called to know. Yes, we need to know the details, the facts about it. Hopefully you've understood a little more, maybe. Uh, wrapped your head around a little bit more of who Jesus is in the details. But not just know about him, know, know him. Do you know him? Are you trusting in him? That you realize uh, that, that you have full humanity and yet you do have the sin. That the darkness is in here. You, you've, you've walked the way that you shouldn't have. And you need to be rescued from it. And here is the rescuer. And so you call out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And that exaltation, that, that rescue, it's a free gift. Because he did it all. He paid for it. 
This really is the heart of what we, what we celebrate. Jesus, the Son, became man. God went to the lowest place to raise you up to the highest. This is the Jesus we get to know and to love and to be rescued by. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would help us to, to know you better and better, to, to rest in, what, uh, in who you are and what you have done for us. Uh, Lord, that your people would be filled evermore uh, with increasing joy uh, in, in you, we pray. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.